in the shadows of late 19th century Chicago, amidst the clamour of progress and the allure of the world's Columbia Exposition, lurked a figure shrouded in darkness and deceit. He walked the streets with an air of confidence, his charming demeanour masked a sinister truth. His name was H. H. Holmes. But to those unfortunate souls who crossed his path, he was the embodiment of pure evil. Picture, if you will, the sprawling corridors of his infamous murder castle, a labyrinthine structure designed not for habitation, but for the orchestration of horror. Within its walls, hidden passages twisted like the tendrils of a malignant vine, leading unsuspecting victims to their doom. Trap doors concealed beneath lush carpets, soundproof rooms stifling the cries of the damned, and a network of secret chambers where the echoes of terror resounded endlessly. Holmes himself was a paradoxical enigma, possessing the allure of a gentleman and the soul of a demon. His piercing gaze held the promise of salvation and the curse of damnation, luring in innocent souls like the moth to a flame. Yet behind closed doors, his true nature was revealed, a sadistic predator, revelling in the suffering of others with a cold detachment that defies comprehension. As the fog of history shrouds his legacy in myth and legend, one thing remains certain. The name H.H. Holmes will be forever synonymous with the darkest of depths of human depravity. Hi everybody and welcome back to the Dark History Podcast, where we explore the darkest parts of human history. Hope everybody is well. I'm Rob, your host as always. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 4. Holmes is where your heart is. H.H. H. Holmes, America's first serial killer. The disturbing life of H.H. H. Holmes is pretty grim, but it's also steeped in myth and legend. The notorious American serial killer is synonymous with his victims and his murder castle. But sometimes in history, things aren't what they seem. And with his murder castle, this may all be nonsense. Surprisingly, this American serial killer also could be the infamous Jack the Ripper. He has been pegged as one of the suspects in the case, and the reasons behind his suspicion are quite plausible. Before we start, I want to thank the episode's sponsor for today, the Ghost Town Podcast, but more about that later. Also, I want to apologise for the lateness of this episode. Valentine's Day got in the way, and also my birthday weekend. Anyway, without further ado, please turn off those lights, sit back and relax next to the fire for more dark history. Herman Webster Mudgett, better known as H.H. H. Holmes, was born on May 16, 1861 in Gilmanton, New Hampshire, USA. He was the third of five children born to Levi Horton Mudgett and Theodate Page Price, both of whom 
were descendants from the first English settlers in the area. Holmes's parents were both devout Methodists. His father was from a farming family and at the time he worked as a farmer, trader and house painter. He was also reportedly a heavy drinker who cruelly mistreated his family. Holmes's childhood was marked by a troubled relationship with his father who was strict and often physically abusive. As an adolescent, Holmes attended Phillips Exeter Academy before graduating high school with honours from Gilmington Academy when he was 16. Despite the ill treatment at the hands of his father, Holmes was described as a bright and precocious child with an interest in medicine from a young age. Holmes also faced bullying by his classmates due to his outstanding academic capabilities. In one instance, he was forced to stand in front of a human skeleton and put the skeleton's hands on his face in an effort to frighten him. Initially terrified, Holmes later discovered the experience to be intriguing and claimed that it helped him overcome his worries. Holmes subsequently developed an obsession with death as a result of the encounter and later took to the pastime of dissecting animals. At the age of 16, Holmes graduated from high school and went on to attend the University of Vermont, where he studied medicine. It was during his time at the university that Holmes began to exhibit signs of his future criminal behaviour, engaging in insurance scams and stealing corpses from the local morgue for dissection. In 1882, he transferred to the University of Michigan's Department of Medicine and Surgery in Ann Arbor, where he continued his studies. While enrolled, he worked in the anatomy lab under Professor William James Herdman, then the chief anatomy instructor, and the two were said to have been engaged in facilitating grave robbing to supply medical cadavers. After graduation, Holmes had apprenticised in New Hampshire under Nahum White, a noted advocate of human dissection. Two years after graduating, in 1884, Holmes moved to Chicago, where he took on the alias of Dr. Henry H. Holmes, aka H. H. Holmes, and began to work at a pharmacy. He came across a drugstore at the northwest corner of South Wallace Avenue and West 63rd Street in the Englewood section of Chicago. The drugstore owner, Elizabeth Holton, gave Holmes a job. He proved to be a hard-working employee, eventually buying the store. Contrary to belief, it wasn't here that he committed his first known murder. In a lot of sources, it's claimed that he killed the business partner and collected the insurance money. But this is not true. By 1886, Holmes had purchased the pharmacy in the Englewood neighbourhood of Chicago. Holmes also purchased an empty lot across the street, where construction began in 1887 for a two-storey mixed-use building, with apartments on the second floor and retail spaces, including a new drugstore on the first floor. Later this building would become known as the Murder Castle. Ever the swindler, Holmes declined to pay for the architect or the steel company for the building and the services that they had provided. 
the two companies would take him to court in 1888. Despite his reluctancy to pay anything, in 1892 he handed a third floor, telling investors and suppliers that he intended to use it as the hotel during the upcoming World's Columbian Exposition. The exposition, also known as the Chicago World's Fair, was held from May the 5th to October the 31st, 1893, in the city to celebrate the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus's arrival in the New World in 1492. Unfortunately, here I'm about to burst the proverbial evil mastermind bubble that surrounds H.H. Holmes. Contemporary accounts report that Holmes built the hotel to lure tourists visiting the exposition in order to kill them and sell their skeletons to nearby medical schools. Although he did have a history of selling stolen cadavers to medical schools, Holmes had acquired these words through grave robbing rather than murder. Likewise, there is no evidence that Holmes ever murdered exposition goers on these premises. The Yellow Press labelled the building the Holmes Murder Castle claiming that the structure contained secret torture chambers, trapdoors, gas chambers and a basement crematorium. None of these sensationalised claims were true. Other accounts stated that the hotel was made up of over a hundred rooms and laid out like a maze, with doors opening into brick walls, windowless rooms and dead-end staircases. In reality, the third floor hotel was moderately sized, largely unremarkable and uncompleted due to Holmes's disputes with the builders. It did contain some hidden rooms, but they were used for hiding furniture Holmes had bought on credit and did not intend to pay for. In a world haunted by forgotten tales and lost souls, there exists a podcast that explores the darkest corners of human history. Welcome to the Ghost Town Podcast, where the past never rests in peace. Join Jason Horton and Rebecca Lieb as they uncover the mysteries of the paranormal, true crime and forgotten stories from around the world. With each episode, Jason and Rebecca take you on a chilling journey through haunted hotels, abandoned malls, infamous murder scenes and weird historical events. With new episodes twice weekly, and a catalogue boasting 560 episodes to listen to, you will find anything from the terrifying tales of the Cecil Hotel to the curse of King Tut's tomb and anything in between. I myself am an avid listener to the show and love the informative yet relaxing setting to some heavy subjects. Not only can you find the Ghost Town podcast on your preferred podcast listening platform, you can also check out the Ghost Town Pods videos on Instagram and TikTok at Ghost Town Pod. There will be a link to that in the description below. So join Jason and Rebecca on the Ghost Town Podcast, where history haunts the present. The contemporary sources such as newspapers, would have you believe the sprawling building featuring a labyrinth of secret passages, trap doors and soundproof rooms designed to facilitate Holmes's gruesome crimes were the actual lure of the devil himself. 
but these were most likely fallacies. In truth, besides his infamous murder castle, Holmes also owned a one-storey factory which he claimed was to be used for glass bending. It is unclear if the factory furnace was ever used for this purpose. It was speculated to have been used to destroy incriminating evidence of Holmes's crimes. What is for certain is H.H. H. Holmes was a criminal and a murderer, and there is a long list of poor unfortunate victims that crossed his path. By the time Holmes had arrived in Chicago in 1886, he was already a wanted man, as a con artist and a bigamist. He fled from one town to the next, avoiding prison time for various scams, including insurance fraud of a ghastly nature. Holmes would steal and mutilate medical cadavers and pretend that they were victims of accidents to collect insurance money. But it wouldn't take long for Holmes to jump from con artist and thief to murderer. His first victim was his own mistress, the 31-year-old Julia Smythe, who was the wife of Dr. Lawrence Asilius Ned Connor, who had moved into Holmes's building and began working for his pharmacy's jewellery counter. After Connor found out about Smythe's affair with Holmes, he quit his job and moved away, leaving Smythe and their five-year-old daughter Pearl Connor behind. Smythe gained custody of Pearl and remained at the hotel, continuing her relationship with Holmes. Julia and Pearl both disappeared on Christmas Eve of 1891. Holmes initially claimed to acquaintances that Julia had left unexpectedly to visit her dying sister, but then changed his story and said that she had fled her former husband. Ultimately, Holmes later claimed that Julia had actually died during an abortion. Despite his medical background, Holmes was unlikely to have experience in carrying out an abortion, and mortality from such a procedure was high at the time. Holmes then claimed to have poisoned Pearl, likely to hide the circumstances of her mother's death. A partial skeleton, possibly of a child around Pearl's age, was found when excavating Holmes's cellar. His next victim, 23-year-old Emmeline Sigrun, began working in Holmes's building in May of 1892 and worked for him for six months. Holmes reportedly hired Sigrun as a secretary due to her connections to a doctor who was peddling a vaccine that allegedly cured alcoholism. Those who saw Sigrun in the weeks before her disappearance noted that she had appeared to have lost interest in Holmes and their relationship. Sigrun was last seen in December of 1892. Her parents were informed that she had left and married a man named Robert Phelps. Authorities hypothesised that she had gotten pregnant by Holmes, possibly being another victim of a failed abortion that Holmes had tried to cover up. Nevertheless, her empty luggage trunk was sent back to her mother in Anderson, Indiana. Unfortunately, her skeleton would be found by police at the home of a Chicago physician, with the help of M.G. Chappelle, who had admitted to having articulated three skeletons for H.H. H. Holmes. In early 1893, 
A 24-year-old, one-time actress named Wilhelmina, Minnie Williams, moved to Chicago. Holmes claimed that he had met her at an employment office, though it is believed that he had actually met her in Boston several years earlier, while he was going by the alias Harry Gordon. Holmes offered her a job at his hotel as a personal stenographer, and she accepted. Holmes persuaded Williams to transfer the deed of her property in Fort Worth, Texas, to a man named Alexander Bond, which was an alias of Holmes. In April of 1893, Williams transferred the deed, with Holmes serving as notary. The following month, Holmes and Williams presented themselves as husband and wife, renting an apartment in Lincoln Park. Minnie's younger sister, 18-year-old Anna, Nanny Williams, came to visit. She wrote to her aunt that she was planning to accompany Brother Harry to Europe. In it, she signed off with the message, Brother Harry says you never need to trouble any more about me, financially or otherwise. He and sister will see to me. I hope our hard days are over. Neither Minnie nor Nanny were ever seen alive again, and Holmes would subsequently use Minnie's name in future scams. Holmes also had a list of suspected murders attached to him, which were proven after his death or could never be proven. A 68-year-old creditor of Holmes, named John de Bruyle, died of apoplexy on April 17, 1891, in the castle's drugstore. De Bruyle collapsed and died shortly after Holmes poured a black liquid down his throat, according to a witness, but foul play was not suspected. In 1895, it was determined that de Bruyle's life was insured and that Holmes had profited from his death. In 1891, Emily Van Tassel disappeared after working at Holmes's drugstore. Holmes spoke of her in his confession. In 1897, Van Tassel's name was cited on a list of suspected victims and Van Tassel's mother believed that she was a possible victim. A man known only as Dr. Russeller had an office in the castle and went missing in 1892. Holmes mentioned killing Russeller in his confession Kitty Kelly, a stenographer of Holmes, also went missing in 1892. John Davis of Greenville, Pennsylvania, went to visit the 1893 World's Fur and vanished. In 1920, he was declared legally dead. Harry Walker of Greensburg, Indiana, went missing in November of 1893. He was alleged to have insured his life to Holmes for $20,000, and wrote to friends that he was working for Holmes in Chicago. Holmes and his associate Benjamin Peitzel took George Thomas out to a Mississippi swamp on the Tom Bigby River in June 1894, killed him and disposed of his body. Holmes also confessed to the murder of his second wife. Milford Cole of Baltimore, Maryland disappeared after receiving a telegram from Holmes to come to Chicago in July of 1894. An additional possible victim was Lucy Burbank. Her bank book was found with human hair in the chimney flue at the castle in 1895. 
allegedly. In his confession, Holmes claimed to have killed two persons in Lake County, Illinois, sometime in the 1890s, which was confirmed years later when the remains of an unknown man and an unknown woman were found on a farm in 1919, 23 years after his execution. The Peitzel family were a known victim of Holmes's, Father Ben and his three children, his daughters Alice and Nellie and his little son Howard. While working in the Chemical Bank building on Dearborn Street, Holmes met and became close friends with 38-year-old Benjamin Freelon Peitzel, a carpenter with a criminal past who was exhibiting in the same building a coal bin that he had invented. Holmes used Peitzel as his right-hand man for several criminal schemes. In one scheme, Peitzel was to fake his own death so that his wife could collect a $10,000 life insurance policy. The scheme, which was taking place in Philadelphia, called for Peitzel to set himself up as an inventor under the name B.F. Perry and then be killed and disfigured in a lab explosion. Holmes was to find an inappropriate cadaver to play the role as Peitzel. Instead, Holmes killed Peitzel on September the 4th, 1894, by knocking him unconscious with chloroform and setting his body on fire with the use of benzene. Holmes collected the insurance payout on the basis of the genuine Peitzel corpse. Holmes then went on to manipulate Peitzel's unsuspecting wife, Carrie Alice Canning, into allowing three of her five children to be placed in his custody. The three children, who were placed under Holmes's care, were 13-year-old Alice Peitzel, 9-year-old Nellie Peitzel, and 7-year-old Howard Robert Peitzel. Holmes and the three Peitzel children travelled throughout the northeastern United States and into Canada. He simultaneously escorted Carrie along a parallel route, all the while using various aliases and lying to Carrie concerning her husband's death by claiming Peitzel was hiding in London, as well as lying to her about the true whereabouts of her three missing children. Holmes later confessed to murdering Alice and Nellie on October the 25th, 1894, by forcing them into a large trunk and locking them inside. He drilled a hole in the lid of the trunk and put one end of a hose through the hole, attaching the other end to a gas line to asphyxiate the girls. Holmes buried their new bodies in the cellar of a rental house on 16 St Vincent Street in Toronto. On July the 15, 1895, Alice and Nellie's bodies were found in the Toronto cellar. Holmes was reported to have visited a local pharmacy to purchase the drugs which he had used to kill Howard Peitzel on October the 10th, 1894, and a repair shop to sharpen the knives that he used to chop up the body before burning it. Later, authorities found teeth and pieces of bone among charred ruins that belonged to Howard in an Indianapolis cottage that Holmes had rented. After several weeks of outrunning authorities, Holmes was finally apprehended in November 1894. During his time in custody, 
He gave numerous stories to police, once admitting to killing 27 people. Convicted in 1895, Holmes appealed his case, but lost. Estimates of the total number of people Holmes killed range from 20 to as many as 200 victims. Holmes died on May 7th, 1896, when he was hanged for the Peitzel murders, roughly 34 years old at his death. The Beast of Chicago was buried in Philadelphia. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to this dark episode. So, H.H. H. Holmes. Like I said in the episode, the media generally exaggerate things in a bid to sell more newspapers, or in more modern times, keep people watching the news. H.H. H. Holmes's story seems to have had this treatment. Don't get me wrong, he was a cold and calculated killer, but the whole murder castle thing was pure journalist fantasy. There is no confusion, however, on his murderous intent. Holmes stated, I was born with the very devil in me. I could not help the fact that I was a murderer. No more than a poet can help the inspiration to song, nor the ambitions of an intellectual man to be great. The inclination to murder came to me as natural as the inspiration to do right comes to the majority of people. One legend that has come around in more modern times is that H.H. Holmes was none other than Jack the Ripper. The most convincing argument for Jack the Ripper and H.H. Holmes being the same person is a single name on a ship log late in 1888. The name read H. Holmes. Holmes actually had a colleague, Edmund Buckley, that hailed from Whitechapel. This would have given Holmes a reason to visit Whitechapel in the first place. While in Whitechapel, Holmes could have begun a string of murders as Jack the Ripper before fleeing back to the States and begin the construction of the murder castle. The dates of all the murders fit. There is no overlapping between the two murder sprees by the two different killers. The gap between the last killing by Jack the Ripper and the first by H.H. Holmes was six months. So if Jack the Ripper and H.H. Holmes were the same person, they would need to travel from London to Chicago within that time span, which was possible at the time. Sure, on the surface, everything works out time-wise for the murderers to have had the same identity, but coincidence aren't exactly evident. And as exciting as it is to put all the puzzle pieces together, there is no concrete proof that H.H. Holmes committed the Ripper murders. There isn't even proof Holmes ever travelled to London. Anyway, if you could please drop a review on the show, it really does help the podcast out. The more reviews, the more the algorithm pushes the show out there. If you think friends and family may be interested in the podcast, then share it with them. Links to all socials are below. I know adverts can sometimes be a pain, But if you would like ad-free episodes, a link to the show's Patreon is also below. Not only do you get ad-free content, here is where you can find my other podcast, This Week in History. This is a dive into the week's grisly, gruesome, or just random events throughout history. The Patreon is for people who want to support the channel, but don't feel like you have to. As always, 
If you've been listening for a while and not subscribed, please do that. In that way, you never miss an episode. So with all that out of the way, thank you again for listening. Join us next time for our next episode as we delve into another event and more dark history. <laughs>